Hey everyone, this week we're bringing you a bonus episode courtesy of Girl Trek. They're an incredible nonprofit organization encouraging black women and girls to use walking as a practical first step to inspire healthy living, families, and communities. With more than 740,000 active members and counting, Girl Trek is the largest health movement and nonprofit for black women and girls in the country. They're on a mission to inspire a million, yes, one million black women to walk in the direction of their healthiest, most fulfilled lives by the end of 2020. I know my role in this movement is to acknowledge, learn, and listen, but also to keep sharing important stories. So that's exactly what we're doing today. Girl Trek kicked off their Black History Bootcamp series on June 1st. The bootcamp is an epic 21-day walking meditation, sharing the stories and legacies of legendary and revolutionary Black women in history, women like Audre Lorde, Ella Baker, and Shirley Chisholm. Every day, you can join Girl Trek founders Morgan Dixon and Vanessa Garrison as they hop on the phone and take a walk to discuss who these women are and why everyone should know their stories. And while we're already in the last week of this 21-day boot camp, there's no reason you can't start today or tomorrow or right now. These stories are relevant anytime. So start from the beginning of the series or listen in whatever order feels right to you. You can sign up for the boot camp at girltrek.org forward slash Black History Bootcamp or search for Black History Bootcamp on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We'll include links to everything in the show notes. Now tie up those walking shoes, grab a mask, safety first, pop in those earbuds and tune into Black History Bootcamp's sixth episode. It's the story of musician Nina Simone. Welcome everyone. There are so many new people joining us today. And that is in thanks in no part in total to every single woman who's been with us since day one. You have been sharing with your friends, your family, your sewing circle, your sunshine band, your um, youth group, your school, your classroom. You have been sharing with everybody you love to join Black History Boot Camp as a practical step forward. And I just want to say thank you. It's working. And we wholly believe that if we keep, 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 keep inviting the women we love every single day, that we can reach 100,000 before this thing is over. So let's keep at it. Let's keep at it. And congratulations to every woman who finished week one, who did all five days. Keep at it. If you only got four days, this counts as five. Claim your badge today. <laughs> so, so congratulations. How you feeling, V? Um, I'm feeling good. It's a beautiful morning here in, or I guess it's afternoon in D.C., the weather is really nice. The birds are out. It's like, you know, there's been a lot of protests, but the protests were so um, full of, I think, like a, lo- a little bit of like a levity and like a hopefulness. So I woke up feeling really good this morning. How about you? Uh, I feel great. Oh, I just smell something that smells like honeysuckle too. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I don't even know what honeysuckle is, Morgan, but anytime I smell anything in the air, I'll be like, it smells like honeysuckle. Look, I cannot point out honeysuckle to save my life. <laughs> But anyway, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I had a relaxing weekend. I was talking to my sister today. I was like, you know how you feel tired from relaxing too much? (laughs) I I was just chilling. And now I'm like, well, let me get back to work. So as we begin today, uh, if you're not outside walking, I just want to invite you um, to come out and take a walk with us, even if it's around the block, even if it's down to your driveway and back, get some fresh air, get outside. 
and listen to this. This is designed to be a walk and talk. Um, so our audio might be like less quality than you used to because we are on our phones walking through the streets of our own neighborhoods as well. So we invite you to do that. And for the women who are out there walking, oh my goodness, let's start to pace ourselves a little bit. Today, we're going to talk a lot about freedom. We're going to talk about Nina Simone and what she thought about freedom. And so I just wanted to maybe start in a freedom pose, posture, stance. So as you are walking forward now, I just want you to pretend that you are free in your body as you're walking forward. And what does that look like? Just continuing to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. What would it look like if you felt free in your body? Maybe your head would roll to one side or the other. Maybe you would just release your shoulders back, maybe. Maybe open your hands up. They're clenched. Maybe you wave them in the air. Maybe you walk side to side. Maybe you do a little twirl. Maybe you look up at the sky. I just want you to start to walk in freedom. Like, what does it feel like to walk like you're free? And just practice that for a couple of steps. Just walk like you're free. Well, I personally just thank God that you are here with us today. Asking that God orders our steps and our words for this entire 21 days. Um, and that our ancestors will pump in our feet, give fire to and purpose to our steps, open our hearts and our minds to new skills, new knowledge, uh, passed down from mother to daughter. I hope that we learn so much that we just feel fired up for the year ahead. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the Nina Simone, the voice of a generation. If you don't know Nina Simone, um, it's okay. Um, so Nina Simone is a great, great singer. And we compiled a list of, of some of her greatest songs. There are too many, but this is just like your cliff notes to Nina Simone uh, in today's email. And then we also did um, a tribute, like we do every day, of people who we think Nina Simone might have wanted to listen to if she were alive with us today. So Nina Simone was born uh, in a place called Tryon, North Carolina, um, and she was born to very lovely church-going um, family. And one of the things um, that I found very interesting about her life is that as a young child, she was not, a, uh, not adopted, but taken special interest in by two white women, actually, who, and one of them paid for her piano lessons so that she could get trained as a classical pianist and set upon her the expectation that one day she would be a great classical pianist because she already showed such fortitude and her parents um, had her on the piano all the time and gave her that discipline. So somebody invested in her and, you know, and that was, that was a good deed. So, you know, many years later, what happened is she became a very successful piano player. She even went to Juilliard, which is the best art school um, arguably in the country. Um, but she got almost single-mindedly obsessed with being the greatest pianist ever. And what happened is the world handed her a big dose of glass ceiling because she was a woman, 
and particularly because she was a black woman. And she applied to this music. music and particularly school. because she was a dark black woman. I'm just going to throw that in yeah, there for you. Absolutely. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> and so absolutely. And she applied to the school called Curtis, I think Curtis School of Music or something like that. And they, they rejected her. And she was by far a very qualified applicant. And she held on to that rejection um, very close to her heart. And her entire life, she set a North Star that she would prove those people wrong and that she would be the greatest pianist in, in all of American history and that she would one day play Carnegie Hall. And she did. She did. And eventually Curtis School gave her an honorary degree, right, when she, when she stopped the world with her voice. Well, at the same time as she was doing that, she was also grappling with just acceptance in her own body, with acceptance within her community. Her voice sounded different. Her face looked different. People treated her different, including her husband, um, who was abusive, right? Um, and so eventually what happened is she started to burst out of all of those expectations that people had on her. And one of her pivotal moments was when she, when in Birmingham, the four little black girls were burned in a church by a white supremacist who, put, who placed a bomb there to do harm. Four little black girls were killed. And Nina Simone was so broken in, spiritually by this that she just was broken wide open to start to speak truth to power. And she wrote a song called Mississippi Goddamn. And in that song, she admits that she thought that was the end of her career. And she had really started to experience some commercial success. Um, and particularly, you know, commercial success with white people, right? Um, they loved her kind of jazz riffs and her classical piano. And she thought, this is over. You know, all of my, all my magazine covers are over because I'm, I'm about to tell these people exactly what I think about Mississippi, the South, the, you know, the old boys club. I'm a bit, so if you haven't heard the song, Mississippi Goddamn, that was her moment where she spoke truth to power. And what happened was the exact opposite. When she, when she lended her voice to the movement, everything aligned and opened wide open for her. And she became the voice of resistance, of protest. And that is such a heavy yoke to bear, y'all. When you become a single voice of reason, of courage, uh, it, it's a heavy yoke. So she started to sing. She started to write. She started to dig in. She started to tour the country. Um, and she actually, one of the things that I want you to know about her is in, in this very public performance of our hero, privately, she suffered in a horrible marriage to her manager, where he literally just, just pummeled her. Like she wrote in her diary where he was just so physically violent and emotionally violent to her and she held on and she tried to be a mother and she tried to have a public face and she did what she needed to do because she knew that her people needed her and her voice mattered. So all through her catalog, you can just hear our story, our resistance, our protest, but at a great cost. We all know that at the end of Nina Simone's life that she really struggled with fits of rage and anger because she had actually channeled all of the rage of our, of our collective consciousness through her voice. And so for that, today, we dedicate our walk to her and we release for her because I think what she would want us to do is to carry her legacy forward in a way where we get to live, where we get to live in our sanity, our love where we get to unfurl our fist and we can just walk. And it's one of the reasons why 
Um, I made a separate playlist. I was like, if she were here walking today, I'd want her to walk to some spirited music of people who were just really trying to elevate from where she left us off, who are not kind of identifying with struggle, as you said, Vanessa, who are, who are, who are trying to elevate to something different and something great and something expansive and abundant, thanks to the struggle that she sacrificed and gave to us. So today we are going to talk about yeah. Nina Simone. So let's get into it, Vanessa. Why did the whole black community revolt <laughs> when the biopic was supposed to come out? And Zoe Saldano was cast to play Nina Simone. What, I mean, what was it about? Were we, were we tripping? Was it legitimate? Like, I really want to know, because I think sometimes we can be finicky as a community. <laughs> I think we can be finicky, but I just want to know what you think. No, I don't think we were finicky. I think that there is such a narrow space created for Black women to show up as our full selves in a world where we actually literally draw, color, shape, design the world for others. They then create our lane so narrowly. So when you're talking about our heroes, Nina Simone or Harriet Tubman or whomever, we have invested so much into those identities to reflect on who we are because we don't have a lot of lanes for ourselves. So I think that people feel it's a personal affront around how we look, how we show up, who we are, when a Hollywood film studio decides that a woman who doesn't have any of the features of a Nina Simone can play her. And in fact, Nina Simone's whole life was defined in part by how she looked, how she showed up, how people responded to her. It's inauthentic. It's, um, it's, it's unfair in that way where it's just like Mississippi, goddamn, like, goddamn world, like stop doing us like this. But that's where I'm Morgan. I'm gonna go back to what Nikki Giovanni told us. We asking the wrong people, probably even asking the wrong people to make our movies about us, right? So we're asking say the wrong it, people if we're attractive, everything. And that's really what it goes back to. The talented filmmakers in our community rise up and we shall make our own films, cast our own heroes, tell our own stories. I think that's the free world that Nina Simone was um, singing about, praying for, and unfortunately wasn't herself able to live in that I hope we can create with the women who are on this call with us. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. One of her most famous quotes, and uh, it certainly is a viral video that's been going around, is, the uh, interviewer asked her, what is freedom? And she said, what is freedom to me? Freedom to me is no fear. Freedom to me is yeah. no fear. What do you, what I do you actually think have afraid of? I was going to say, Morgan, I have this, a real story just really quickly. This weekend, I was in one of the, um, the marches here in D.C. with some young black boys who were leading it. And I was um, up at the front and they were leading and they were walking and somebody in the crowd suggested we were over by the Martin Luther King Memorial and it was dark time by them. Somebody was like, we got to go into the MLK. And everybody was scared. It was like, it's dark as hell in there and the police are surrounding us and we don't know what's going to go on in there. And there was like this moment of fear. But in the face of that fear, the leaders were like, no, we are going to do this thing, right? We're going to do this thing. And people started to follow. And I say that to say, I think sometimes it is doing something when fear is still present is what makes Black women um, who we are. I don't think it's even an absence of fear for me. I think we are doing things in a fearful, when we are still fearful, but we are finding bravery and courage. But for Nina Simone, and I do believe this, I was like, all these black people who are here at this march, we want to be free to spend our Saturday or our Sunday laid up in bed with our family making pancakes. We want to be free 
to get an education, to pursue our dreams without the fear of somebody on our neck. We want to be free to live our best life without Karen calling the cops on us when we're out in the park, right? Like we don't even have like those basic levels of freedom. So the freedom in our body that you're talking about, Morgan, is the most powerful freedom because it's the one thing that I think people can't give us nor take away, but we have to cultivate it and hold on to it while we are fighting for those other freedoms. Yeah. I think about, um, I was talking to my friend, actually Cass, I never told you this. I hope she doesn't mind me sharing. I was talking to Cass and she was telling me that when she, when she lived in upstate New York um, and like above New Rochelle somewhere that um, she must've been five or six years old, that the um, clan put a burning cross in her yard. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, you know, they were the only, um, they, her father had worked for some, you know, big tech or engineering firm or something. And they had moved over from Ghana to upstate New York and they were the only black family around. And, you know, in upstate New York and Jersey, all those places, we don't talk about them a lot, but neo-Nazi activity is wild in those places. And they, somebody put a cross in her yard and burned it. And she was so little that she didn't know to be afraid of it. Um, she thought it was like, you know, circus. <laughs> she didn't know to be afraid of it, but she saw the fear in her parents' eyes and they immediately packed up their house and moved, um, moved after that. And they moved out of, out of town. And I was just thinking, like, I remember when I was a little girl um, being afraid of, like, the KKK. I remember um, watching a movie called Mississippi Burning, and I used to have, like, these recurring dreams um, about the Klan, all these sorts of things as a child. And so there is something about physical safety um, and the fear of, of being Black in America now, and now that we know now more than ever, but... Even Audre Lorde said it in the Litany to Survival that we learn fear with our mother's milk. And I, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I watched Beloved this weekend because I felt bad. Because on, on Tony Morrison Day, I, I hadn't read Beloved. I got too scared to finish the movie. <laughs> I was like, let me, let me go and stop playing. I watched the whole movie. And it really was about this kind of like physical paralysis, this kind of fear, this absolute trapness that, that makes you deranged. And so part of what I'm so grateful, I am so grateful for is like the practices that I've learned to free my body. Um, And so whether that is a sitting meditation, whether that is yoga, whether that is literally standing outside with my puppy in the morning and shrugging my shoulders and releasing them and just fighting back with my flexibility, with my love, with my spiritual warriorship that was passed on from generations of black women just absolutely not being rigid where I can be broken physically is such a gift is such a legacy black women have of just shaking it off and wh- whether it's us dancing, whether it's us like rotate, whatever it is, like we're so good at it. And I don't want us to lose that and get too tight. I don't want us to get too tight because we can be broken that way. So I agree Morgan. Yeah, when you yeah. were saying that I was thinking about how we pat the, when you're the fear that we pass down for black women, it even shows up in ways that I don't think we would identify as fear. But when you, your friend says this, actually this happened to me, you know, this, my aunt, right? She passed down a lot of fear to me. She needed to be fearful though, by the way, because our family was going through it and she was trying to keep me safe. But like, I couldn't have sleepovers. I couldn't do this. I couldn't go out at night. Couldn't hang with those. Like she was tight. And then as I got to be an adult and I started to travel, she still had so much fear. And I remember one time I was going to Vietnam. I don't know if you remember this. And I went and told my aunt and she almost burst into tears. 
And she was like, why do you have to do that? Why do you have to go there? And I was thinking, damn, this was a dream trip for people in the world to be able to travel for a month in Vietnam. And my aunt has had so much fear embedded in her that in the moment where I'm telling her I'm doing this, she is literally shaking, thinking of what's going to happen to me. And that's unfair. That fear has stolen our unfair. dreams for our babies. It has, a, it has forced us into schools closer to home when we wanted to go further away. It has forced us into relationships that were safer when we wanted to take a risk. It has forced us into jobs that are consistent instead of uh, dream careers where we uh, take a risk and do, our, and do talent that really means something to us. Like our, the fear has shown up so deep in so many ways that I think we have to start to excavate where are we making fearful choices? And we, I think we sometimes even associate fear with being black culture, with being how we yes. do things. You understand what I mean? Yes. So even today, I, you, you might saw on Instagram, I was in the mountains. I was looking at property. I'm trying to live my best life, y'all. And I was up in the mountains and I was hiking with, with two friends. And I saw this beautiful red banded um, like centipede. It was huge. It was so beautiful. I've never seen anything like it. And I squatted down to move the leaf off so I could watch it, right? And they mm-hmm. screamed. It was three of them. They screamed. They're like, get away from that. Get away from that. That's the white people. Look, look, right, exactly. Centipede. It's a centipede. You know, it was so beautiful. They like ruined my joy in that moment. And then they made it about yeah. blackness. They was like, you uh-huh. ain't black enough because you're not afraid enough. And I, was, and I feel right. like they get that a lot. We get that a, a lot. lot that you somehow are a too lot. loose. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. part of what I love about Nina Simone is that she started to define herself, even in the context of great fear in her own life, great like trauma in her own life. She started to really try and make bold acts in fearlessness from the way she styled her hair to the clothes she wore to the gravel of her voice to like to bust in, to play in classical music and at soul concerts and freedom concerts, like really trying to define herself for herself. And I just want that for all of us. You know, I think about that picture, that black lives matters picture. I don't remember that sister's name um, who was standing in front of the police line with such mm-hmm. equanimity, with such fearlessness. I mean, such fearlessness in her physical body that I want that for us because I already know that we're spiritual warriors, but if we can kind of get into our physical bodies in a, in a stance of fearlessness, I just really think that's when change happens for us, um, even on an individual level. So that's really what I, what I want for everyone listening. I agree. But I want I, agree. Everyone listening. I was feeling proud of us in particular in this moment, Morgan, this is, it's going to sound like a commercial, but I don't care because it is the girl trick call, but I'm proud of it. We and I'm and I'm saying this because when black women speak aloud, what we did, even though we were afraid or in spite of our fear, it gives other women permission to. And Girl Trek is a movement that we started literally with no knowledge of public health, but just a a passion and a desire to see black women live. And we quit our jobs, and people were like, "That sounds crazy." And we were like, we're going to go out there and ask women to start walking with us. And people were like, mm, I don't know, nobody going to show up. You guys are going to be embarrassed. And we told people boldly, we are going to get a million women walking. And when I tell you so many people were like, that's absolutely not going to happen. And it's literally getting ready to happen. And in part to the women on this phone, but 
we were fearless in that moment. And I'm saying that because I only know that in retrospect. And I wonder, Morgan, if sometimes we are being brave or being fearless, but we don't know it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, at the moment, it just felt like little ordinary tasks that we were completing every single day towards a vision. But when I look back on it, I'm like, wow, we were really fearless. And I don't, I think I'm going to guess that every woman on this call today is doing something that she, that is brave and courageous. So I'm going to challenge you to, it may seem ordinary. Other people may not see it. It may not be celebrated. Somebody might not put it on the New York Times or a thousand people may not like it on Instagram. But today, find your fearless moment and celebrate yourself for making a fearless choice, even in the small moments, because those moments add up to the big moments. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even in the small moments, you're building muscles of fearlessness. You're building muscles of of courage. You know what I mean? Um, So, no, I'm really grateful for that, too. I was, um, if you haven't seen a documentary on Netflix about Nina Simone, I really highly recommend it. And I think her daughter was either executive producer or certainly consulted, and she was prominent in the film. And one of the things she said to me was really, really, I don't know, I sat with for a long time, is she said, the world knew Nina Simone, but what they didn't know is that she was Nina Simone 24 hours a day. And that she brought that bigness and that performance home, and that's where the trouble started. It's what is right. what her daughter said, and I was like, "Holy cow!" Like, it something resonated with that with me because it's like, at what point can we stop performing this identity that yeah. we think is necessary to free our people? Do you understand what yeah. I mean? I do. It's funny because like, on this call, it's like some days, some days we can be energetic some days whatever but I was like we just got to be how we feel it and everybody's gonna have to and that energy is real so I but I do feel that we there's a pressure for us to perform I especially think there's a I have felt this in particular there's a pressure to perform especially on social media and especially during times of unrest where I think it's um this call out culture that we have around what are you doing and can you communicate it in a way that I can validate it so we we especially start performing in ways that are very unhealthy yeah yeah so I've been just trying to do like an audit of myself like when am I performing and when am I showing up as my authentic self because that performance will break you if you are in constant Mm -hmm. performance mode trying to to entertain your Mm -hmm. people trying to keep your people at peace trying to perform this role as opposed to mm-hmm. being your whole self. So I've just been like thinking about like, when do I perform? And I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot. And I don't want, you know, when I pass on that the people who remember me say that, you know, I was just 24 hours a day and that was when the problem started. And that's what broke me because let it be known that Nina Simone suffered, suffered severely from mental illness at the end of her life. Um, and, and, and was necessarily medicated um, for the end of her life because that level of pressure will break you. And mental illness is real aside from social pressure, but also genius. Yeah. Genius is broken in, in this kind of, in, in, in the institution of, of white supremacy. We know that. We and, know that from and Morgan, genius is especially yeah. abundant in black. Sorry, I'm going to say this to the world. Genius is especially abundant in black women. So we have to actually manage. I actually think we are overflowed with gifts, overflowed with ideas, overflowed with energy overflowed with goodwill it it even consumes us because i'm talking to myself it consumes me where i'm just like i have so much i want to give but 
how you do that, when you do that, if you don't manage it, then yeah, you, I think it, it, it can crush you. And I think that there's a lot of black women who are dealing with that. It's like, we have so many talents. I know, mm. but how do you do that? And then still remain tender with your baby. Cause her daughter was like, she became a monster to me because she was just, no, I know. I think you can't share all the talents out. Probably that's, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I think we have so much. We're trying to give it all. And my guess is, and then I'm, again, I'm talking to myself, y'all speaking in the I statement, like, some gifts you have to hold back and give into you, right? Some gifts to your family, to your friends, to your person. It's funny, even to your personal space, right? It's like those things matter mightily. Um, and I think we have to pull some energy in for ourselves. And I'm, I'm feeling so sad. I'm, I'm holding myself, my actual body, giving myself a hug. I'm kind of giving Nina Simone's daughter a hug. Something about what you said made me just feel like I want to embrace her. And say, sister, I'm sorry you were going through that. And thank you for lending your mom to us in the way that you did. Yeah. Lending your mom to us. I feel like that it's almost what happens with all black women and our, that there's, mm -hmm. our children are lending us to the world so that we can serve and labor for the freedom of black people. And what I'm suggesting is that's too big of a sacrifice. It is. So, I, yeah. yeah. I is. So one of the things we can learn from Nina Simone's life is learn how to, um, to take everything we can from her brilliance, but also for, look at her mistakes and say, Nina, in your honor, we're going to carve out time. We're not going to just bust the streets every day. We're not going to just fill up our calendars to the brim to prove our worth or to demand justice, but that we are going to practice justice in our bodies, that we are going to practice and worth in our, mo in every, in our every moment like that. It's something that feels very passive, but very strong about like practicing what you want to be in every moment, as opposed to striving toward it and toiling toward it. I love that reminder, Morgan, because I actually think it's a reminder for this entire um, kind of season of campaigns that Girl Trick has been doing, where we started with Daughters Of, and we were talking about celebrating the rituals and traditions that have been passed down for generations. I say that with, and we talk about um, the concept of not picking up everything that somebody puts down all the time, you and I. I do think that there is there are rituals and traditions, most of which we should celebrate, pass down, and talk about on these calls. But I do hope also, especially that these 21 days and the whole campaign, Black History Boot Camp, Daughters of the Whole Campaign, I do think it's also an opportunity, though, for us to ask what rituals and traditions can we put down? What, what things didn't serve us? Where, where did our mamas and our, and our grandmothers adapt behaviors in fear or in duress or, you know, out of necessity that we no longer need or we can adapt into something healthier? So I do think there's some of that work we can also start to do um, as we talk about this, because for every good thing that our mamas passed down, there were some things where it's like, you know what, mama, I'm going to put that down for today, you know? And I think that that's, that's also okay. I do too. That's a good thing to reflect on. What is it that we can lay aside that we can put down that our mothers would probably want us to put down if they, if they could tell us yeah. now. It's great. Yeah. We're at time. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Welcome back. Welcome to week two. Share the word. Share the good news. Mm -hmm. We absolutely love you. Practice walking with fearlessness in your heart and embody justice today. You don't have to strive for it. You are it. You are it.
Thanks again to Girl Trek for sharing this episode of Black History Bootcamp and for doing the amazing work you do. You can learn more about their organization at girltrek.org. That's G-I-R-L-T-R-E-K.org. And you can find all the past episodes of Black History Bootcamp in our show notes, as well as on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.